Transforming Society podcast is brought to you by Bristol University Press and Policy Press. In episodes covering a wide range of social issues, we speak to authors and editors about their books and journals to get to grips with the story their research tells and look at the specific ways in which it could transform society for the better. Ten years ago, the Critical and Radical Social Work Journal was launched by Policy Press to promote debate and scholarship around of engaged social work themes, including the impact of global neoliberalism on social welfare, austerity, social movements, inequality and oppression. To celebrate what's now a decade of the journal, I'm speaking to Michael Lavalette, who has been editor since its inception. Michael is Everton Professor of Social and Community Engagement at Liverpool Hope University and a founder member of the Social Work Action Network International. Hi, Michael. Hiya. Hi, thanks for speaking to me today. My pleasure. I'd like to start by talking about radical social work kind of as a movement. Um, please, can you explain what it is and how the movement began? I suppose if we were to go back 10 years, um, I remember myself and Ian Ferguson, who was the uh, original co-editor uh, with me. We, we've been engaging in, in academic level, I suppose, debate with some people um, for the previous period who'd almost dismissed radical social work as a, as, as a thing of the 1970s, really. Right. It was time-limited. It grew up out of the movement of the 1960s. It was a short-lived movement of radical social work. And it was geographically, it was something that happened a little bit in America, a little bit in the UK, uh, and maybe had touches in Australia, and that was it. So it was geographically limited, and it was time limited. Mm -hmm. And um, Ian and myself always thought that that was wrong in two respects, and I suppose that's partly what the journal was about. So the first thing was that we argued that radical social work has always been in social work. So if you go back to its original roots, there has always been a kernel within social work, which is a radical perspective on life and what social work is. So how do you define that radical so, social work? Yeah, so what we mean by that is that social work is a highly contested activity. Right. It can be quite stigmatising. It, it can reflect authoritarian norms. It can be quite, I suppose you might say, reform-orientated. It's about making improvements to people's lives and the world in which we live. But there's also been that radical current which says that the problems that people face in society are far more deeply rooted. They are rooted in the nature of the kind of society in which we live in. Mm -hmm. They are a reflection of inequality, of racism, of sexism, of homophobia, of transphobia, and the way in which they are embedded in our contemporary capitalist society. So radical social work, in my view, is a, an orientation to the world that is that understands the problems that people face as being a reflection of the nature of modern capitalism. And effectively says that if we want to really address those problems that people have, we have to radically change the society in which we live in. So whether that means, you know, revolutionary change or whatever, but it certainly means replacing capitalism, I think, with something much better, much fairer, much more just, whatever our vision of what that more just world would be. Yeah. Problems are rooted in the kind of society we are. So... Radical social work then for us has always been around. So there's always been social workers from the very start of the social work project who have had that conception that we need to fundamentally change the society in which we live in, which creates the problems that people face. Mm. The problem that we argued was that as it's become more professionalised social work, there has been a, an attempt to try and marginalise those radical voices throughout its history. So yes, people talk about the 70s, 
but they don't talk about, you know, the radical social workers in the 1930s in the United States, Bertha Kapp and Reynolds, Jane Adams. They don't talk about some of the radical welfare projects that today we would probably identify as, as social work. And the one that I quite often try to give is that everybody's heard of Sylvia Pankhurst. And everybody talks about Sylvia Pankhurst being, you know, the, the feminist, the suffragette, the heroic woman who goes to prison and refuses to eat and is force-fed. They might know her as the um, founding member of the Communist Party of Britain. Yeah. They might know her for her anti-racist and anti-fascist activity. Less well-known is her radical welfare work in the East End of London during the First World War, when she is advocating on behalf of women whose partners are either fighting or have been injured or have been killed on the front have been forced to um, present themselves to the public assistance committees. And she goes, or her group, go and advocate for those women and those families. Right. That seems to me to be good social work. Yeah. Or she sets up the baby milk project because there are babies who are starving and she raises funds, she gets funds and she provides free milk for babies in the East End. That seems to me to be good social work. Or she sets up the community cafes to provide cheap, nutritious meals during the 1916 starvation winter. Community response to a collective problem seems to me to be a good radical social work alternative. Now, I'm not claiming that Sylvia Pankhurst would have claimed to be a social worker, but there is some of the activities that Sylvia Pankhurst was involved in which do speak to a more radical social yeah. work community development agenda. And yet we dissociate ourselves from all that. And so why would we do that? Why don't we think is there things that we can learn from the Sylvia Pankhurst or those who do call themselves social workers? Mantona Moza was Swiss women, set up the first Swiss um, uh, uh, training centre for social work. She learned her social work from the settlements in London because she'd come over to London to study at Cambridge. She was from a very affluent family. She then goes back to Switzerland, sets up their training programme, is involved in various public health initiatives. If you look at the history of Swiss social work, Mantona Moza is not mentioned. Really? Why? I think probably for two reasons. Uh, first of all, because she uh, is a lesbian woman and is out at right. the time. And secondly, she's a founder member of the Swiss Communist Party and in the 1930s sets up uh, a network called the um, Red International, which is a, a prisoner and refugee support network for those who are fleeing Franco that is loosely connected to the international communist movement at that time. It does some really interesting refugee work, which we don't why would we not want to claim that yeah. she is a social worker but because of her sexuality and her politics she's sort of written out of the history of social work so one of the things then was that that, that we argued that there's, so there's always been this radical kernel that it has got a vision of addressing people's immediate needs um, by collective solutions very often to, to the to the problems but with a bigger vision that actually to address those problems we need radical change to society in and of itself that's always been there. It's not just in the 1970s, and it's truly international. Whatever you see social work developing, you see this, the, the, the green shoots of those who have that more radical vision of what social work can become. Mm. And that was what we tried to set up the journal to do, to capture some of that history and to think about what radical social work means at the start of the 21st century. That was a bit of a long answer to a short question, but... No, that's really interesting. Um, so the journal kind of becomes this space, doesn't it, where all these thoughts yeah. and ideas can come together, I guess, across academia and practice. 
Absolutely. So, so the journal uh, had exactly that, uh, that that sort of vision. Um, when we set the the, the 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 journal up, we wanted it to have a number of different sections, and I think that makes it a little bit unique for traditional academic journals. But it tries to do exactly what you said there. So, of course, there are academic articles. Yeah. And we can talk more about you know that space there, but that is to explore and to develop radical and critical theorization of social work today. They are, like any other journal, it's eight articles uh, each edition. It's properly refereed, as you would expect, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, and it, and it draws on people from across the, the globe. So that first section um, is like every other social work journal in that sense, with its normal academic norms and expectations and all those things. But we wanted to include a number of other sections within it. So first of all, um, we don't run it every time, but, but there was a period where every issue also had a section called Radical Pioneers. Yeah. And um, the feedback from students and from some social work courses is that social workers really liked us because what we were doing was saying, here's a space for you to talk about the people who have been written out that's where you can bring that history back work. in. So you can yeah. bring it back in and you can do that through some radical social work pioneers. Yeah. And it's been really successful. And we've had pioneers from, you know, uh, from right across the globe. And, and we're always really interested. And we don't claim that we know who they are. So sometimes we get things and we're looking, well, I have to know about this person itself. And you oh, read wow. it and you look at it and it's, so it's quite interesting. But the sections included, um, we had a, um, early on, we had a, um, a, uh, in the Radical Pioneers, we had one on the uh, welfare programmes of the Black Panthers. So it's, it's not necessarily only individuals. Uh, again, I don't know what people's visions of the Black Panther movement in the States was, but certainly if you think about Black Lives Matter now, you know, this was several years ago, we were running with a pioneer section which said that there's some really interesting welfare developments that the Panther Party were putting in place in the inner city ghettos in the States in the 60s and 70s, and there's really interesting things that we can learn from them. So sometimes it's been groups. Most of the time, it's been about individuals and pioneers and getting us to think about, about that. So kind of um, relearning or revisiting our history or sort of bringing that to students and uh, academics and practitioners today. Yeah. A commentary section. Now, I know that some journals will have commentary sections, but that's specifically either about debates so or people... Um, who don't agree with articles? If you if you if you write an article response in the normal article section, it can sometimes be a long time before it appears in print. Yeah. So the commentary section was a way for us to try and keep debates live because we're absolutely committed to you know radical visions mean open, fraternal, engaged debate, and you know and we will learn through that yeah. debate. So the commentary section was partly about people who wanted to respond to an article section. Or it might be national specific, so the, the journal's got a very international focus, but it might be that there is a bill or an act or a piece of law going through your country, wherever that is, the States, Australia, Brazil, Britain, whatever, mm -hmm. which is fundamentally important to reshaping the social work project, and we need to respond quite quickly. So the commentary could be around responding to an article, or it could be around some legislation or some changes to social work, either at a national or an international level. Or it could be a commentary piece that is um, around something really significant. So we didn't have any, but um, partly because I think the journal, uh, we, we responded through a, an edited collection with policy press to COVID. But we could yeah. easily have had the commentary section as some short pieces responding to 
what's happening in COVID and how we... So the, they, are, they are reviewed. Um, the commentary pieces and the Radical Pioneers are all reviewed, um, but the commentary pieces are only usually reviewed by one person rather than okay. trying right. to turn that around and get them out a lot bit quicker. Yeah. And then the fourth section that we've had was Voices from the Front Line. Now, this is quite interesting, again, compared to other journals will have there, but this is open access. So this, this section is always open access. Yeah. And um, it is a place where practitioners or students or social movement activists who are social workers or social workers can write relatively short pieces. They can be 400 words, 500 words, up to 1,000 words about something that's really quite immediate and we try to put them into the next issue of the journal uh, as it's printed to make sure that there's that sort of debate in it. So uh, again, it could be around so uh, uh, um, around the issues around Black Lives Matter or Extinction Rebellion, um, when there was the, the, the protests around Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. Actually, one of the most downloaded um, pieces from the journal was written by a social work student who had been involved in Extinction Rebellion campaigns and was thinking about what, what this meant for social work. It was a relatively short piece, but it's obviously had a, an engagement around the globe because it's one of our most downloaded pieces that we've wow, yeah. had. So, um, and, and that that's not read by external reviewers, it's read by one of the editorial uh, boards okay. to, to make sure that it's English is okay and those things. But we've tried to be as liberal as possible um, with that, to, you know, as long as there's broad academic standards there, but it's not a, you know, we're less concerned with rigid academic writing standards. It's more about bringing something that's relevant to the profession, to practitioners or to students and trying to turn it around as quickly as possible. Yeah. Those four sections, in a sense, mean that the journal is traditionally academic journal, but also got these other sections where we're trying to, I suppose, create a bit of an argument about what we think social work or radical social work has to offer the profession yeah. more, more, more generally. It makes it really kind of current, doesn't it? And living um, to have yeah. all those sections together. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, the problem we have with the academic journals is this, with, with the academic articles is the same that many academic articles are, have, is that there is a little bit of a waiting time yeah. you know, to yeah. get to print. And so if you're writing an academic article today about the war in Ukraine, for example, and it's going to be, you know, the time it goes through review, goes back to for revisions and come mm. back out, then it, then it sits and it comes out. You, you could be talking about 12 months. So, so who knows what's going to happen in the war in Ukraine or the crisis with refugees in Ukraine in 12 months' time. So your article appears and people say, well, that, that's not quite true. That didn't, how, are you, how are you possibly meant to um, know what's going to happen in the next 12 months? But the voices from the front line or the commentary pieces yeah much more immediate and therefore you can talk about those issues in a real sense yeah the, the danger um, the, the danger with that time thread is that academic articles and not just in social work and not just in our journal they tend to not talk about the immediate because you don't know what's going to happen so you tend to talk about things so there's there's an even bigger time delay yeah science is anything surely it is about talking about the way the world is now are there any other journals that do that i i don't think so yeah yeah, I mean, you've obviously got, you know, there's, there's journals that are open access, whatever, but, but you know, this is, an, uh, I mean, obviously the journal fits in with most journals in terms of when they release and when things yeah. are open access and at that stage, but these are immediately open access and they are a voice for students and practitioners and movement activists. So, so I think it is quite unusual or quite unique to the journal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really interesting. Um, 
Okay, so, I mean, the crisis in social work was already well underway 20 years ago and 10 years ago when the journal launched. And I can only imagine that things have got worse um, and social work are more difficult. What further challenges has social work faced since the journal was launched? Well, I think that's a really interesting question because one of the things, um, you know, we are we all obviously always are... <laughs> Located in our uh, in a, where, where we're located, clearly shapes our visions of the world or what we think the problems of the world are. Right. So, what I think is quite interesting is that being a, a social work academic in England, um, absolutely is true that social work was under huge pressure 10 years ago because there had been years of privatisation, neoliberalism, and the journal was just starting to come out just as austerity was kicking in. And so mm. we've now had all those years of neoliberalism, privatisation, austerity, narrowing of social work. And the journal's been arguing that this is the direction in which social work has been travelling for some time. What I think has become clearer to me, however, is that uh, we shouldn't, oh, shouldn't generalise from what is happening in England too much. It is, um, you know, I try to well, misquote Marx, it is a spectre that haunts social work. I yeah. Think what is happening to social work in America, Australia, Britain, maybe Canada, but it isn't necessarily exactly the same at this point in time in other jurisdictions and other parts of the world. And so we shouldn't lose out the, the vision of the fact that, that they are still managing to do other social works um, when you talk to your colleagues from Africa, India, uh, Latin America, they still manage some collective campaigning social work models. Um, when I talk to colleagues from Greece, they still see campaigning around refugee rights as heart of what social work is. If you were just to look at social work in the UK, you would think it would be about narrowing, removal of children, child protection, yeah. the crisis of austerity. Now, all those things are happening in other parts of the world, but, but they're not as intense. So the intensification of the neoliberal social work model is far more extreme in Britain, America, Canada, Australia than it is in other parts of the world. But we are that spectre. I think, you know, we are the, we are the warning. Don't let it happen in a jurisdiction to you. Yeah. And the reverse of that, we have to keep on saying it does not have to be like this in the UK. Look at Brazil. Look at South Africa, look at Greece, look at India. They do social work differently, and there is no reason why we cannot go back to a different, better social work model. So it's been really good to have the international focus in the journal because it, it sort of stops academics in England getting too depressed at the mess that social work in the UK is. And even within the UK, I think it's quite interesting because I think you know, across the, the four jurisdictions of the UK, England mm. is probably more extreme than the other three, although the other three, you know, I don't want to paint them as some sort of nirvana, they are not that, but um, I think it's it's more intense and more extreme in England, and it, and it can shape your, or misshape your view of what's happening in social work if you only look at social work in England. Well, that's really true. Just my very question there that I asked shows how kind of England-focused my view on social work yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that is why it is really important to broaden it out and have this global international view that 
um, the journal does. And also you mentioned when we were talking before the interview, um, the Social Work Action Network um, is now Social Work Action Network International. Yeah. I'm not sure if you wanted to say something about that here. Yeah, so, so the, I mean, the journal, in terms of the roots of the journal, um, uh, maybe take you back there and then where, where we've come uh, to. So um, where are we, 2022, so 15, 16 years ago, um, well, we go back slightly, slightly, slightly before that. At the end of the last century, um, Ian Ferguson and myself were writing about social work, and we were, um, you, I suppose, we're really going against the current at, at that point, where there was um, sort of notions of postmodern social work, or we're in the postmodern world, or there was acceptance of the state provision isn't necessarily the best, or whatever. Um, and things were fairly tough. And, and what happened was um, in the outside world, there was the protests at the uh, World Trade Organization in Seattle in December 1999. And it, it gave birth to um, what's variously called the anti-capitalist movement or the global justice movement. Mm. And at the heart of that, was, there was demands about the environment, of course, there was about uh, labor rights, but a big focus on the impact of privatization of public services of, of health, of water, of you know, of education, of utilities, and, and all the rest of it. And um, Ian, myself, Chris Jones from Liverpool University at the time, Laura Penketh, who was at the University of Central Lancashire at the time, the four of us got together and um, wrote what we called a manifesto for a new engaged practice. As the background was there was people developing these critiques of the impact of, of neoliberalism and privatization in other parts of the world in the, or, or, or in other sectors, and they were tied into the global justice and anti-capitalist movement. So we sort of wrote the manifesto about what was radical social work and how the global justice movement created an opportunity for us to try and rebuild a vociferous and engaged social work. Yeah. And... Um, we just uploaded this onto the web at Liverpool University um, and we allowed people to sign it and we had no idea what was going to happen. But what did happen was very quickly from right around the world, people asked to sign their name to it. Yeah. It kind of exposed my complete ineptness at working the web at the time because I didn't <laughs> do these signatures or how to, how to get them off and I was constantly on it. What do I do with this? All these, because every day, I mean, you know, for the, maybe for the next six months, and it was a daily thing that we were getting 10 or 15 social workers from somewhere in the world putting wow. them this manifesto. So we had we had thousands of names at the end of it. This is that's like that's just a movement kind of emerging, yeah. isn't it? From it? Yeah. yeah. So we were like, well, wow. So so then the second thing at the same time, um so this was uh, uh so we, we did this um in the summer. Uh what year are we in now? Uh, 2000 or 2001 2000 or 2001 okay i think <laughs> uh, see there's me rabbiting on about historical memory and there's my historical memory <laughs> um but the other thing that we did was that um so we, so we did this in this i think it was the summer of 2001 and um then we, we we thought we would try to we got this response we thought we would try to have a meeting so um, we decided that we'd have a meeting in the centre of Glasgow um, 
we chose, I'm not quite sure why we chose Glasgow. Chris Jones and myself were at Liverpool University. Laura was in central Lancashire at Preston. Uh, Ian was in Glasgow, but for some reason we chose Glasgow. And um, Chris Jones and myself drove up to Glasgow in the snow five days before Christmas. And I remember driving up thinking, this is completely bonkers, right? Nobody's going to come. It's five days before Christmas. Everybody's going to look for the Christmas holiday. It's yeah. snowing as we drive into Glasgow. What on earth are we doing? Turned up at this hotel. Ian's there. I'm like, do you think this is going to work? He's like, I don't know. And we had, um, we had about 60 social workers in the room, which yeah. really did, was was more than we expected. 60 yeah. may not sound a lot, but we were like, oh my God, right? That's, that, just before Christmas, right? I mean, that, you put your other hat on. Yeah. Why would you go to a meeting just five days before Christmas, right? So, so clearly, and the meeting was called, and um, we called it under this, we said, I didn't come into social work for this. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, and what happened was that um, we did a bit of an introduction and um, then the social workers just spoke. And what they spoke about was what we were kind of writing about at that time as well. The, the other fact in this is that Chris Jones had just published an article in the British Journal of Social Work. Mm-hmm. which I think is one of their most downloaded articles ever. Really? And it was about what's happening in the front line. And so it was one of the first ones, and this is quite common, and there's lots of people who've done this, but at the end of the 1990s, they went and talked to social workers and they were talking about huge caseloads and burnout and stress and um, no control over their work and all mm-hmm. the kind of things that have, have, have become fairly embedded in the routine. But, but we were arguing at this at that time. And that's exactly what those social workers in Glasgow talked about. They don't have any time. They're working at eight, nine o'clock at night. They've got yeah. caseloads, burnout, stress. So we were like, well, that was quite interesting. Then a couple of weeks later, um, myself and Chris Jones went to Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Nottingham University asked Chris to talk about that paper. And we talked about the festival. He turned up. The room was absolutely packed. And there was a really interesting event because somebody put their hand up and it was one of the senior managers at Nottingham Council at the time. Right. Put his hand up and said, well, look, this is all very interesting. Chris's paper about workload and stress and, and, and the decline of social work and the, the marginalisation of the social work vision. That's not how it works in Nottingham. I can safely say that that's not, that we are, that social workers have got loads of time all that, and the room exploded. Yeah. Absolutely exploded. He, I don't know what he thought he was doing. Um, he was showing he how far away he was from the from, actual experiences the of, yeah. The Couldn't have been yeah. any better for us, right enough, because the room exploded with people saying, and it was a really angry meeting, and people yeah. just, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. The impact of cuts and privatisation and the domination of our work and our lives by computers, and, you know, we don't see clients, and, and it was just... So it was, it was those things. So there was Chris's article, there was the manifesto, there was these two meetings... And then we took a punt. So we decided that we would then try and organise a conference. And we, we were still really quite nervous. Um, but so this was really Ian and myself. We were still quite nervous. So Chris Jones had just announced that he was going to retire and move to Greece. And Chris had been around for a long time and, mm. you know, was well known. So we were really nervous. So we called it, you know, a, a conference to mark Chris Jones's retirement. <laughs> Not that many people. We, were, we just weren't, we were, you know, yeah. we're, we're taking a step, a leap into that. Yeah. And we thought, oh, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. And there was close to 300 people turned up at a, at a weekend conference. Right. And we ended the conference 
By, so that was the first Social Work Action Network conference, ended, really, wasn't we it? We ended yeah. that conference with a, a should we form ourselves into something called the Social Work Action Network and everybody right. yes. yes. And then we started the routine of having uh, annual conferences, which always had about that number and continue to, you know, it's round about 300 to 400 people come every year to the Social Work Action Network conference. Obviously, last year with COVID, it was slightly different. Yeah. And this year's conference will take place, but its its numbers are limited by our university to 250 because of distancing and various different things. But oh, okay. beyond that, that's, that's the numbers. And it was those things um, that we started to think about. So we have the Social Work Action Network. There's the responses to the, 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 the meetings that have taken place. Those things had rolled on. Uh, um, there have been a couple of annual uh, meetings uh, and conferences. There'd also been the connection with Policy Press, so Ian and myself have been publishing with a few other people, but then we started to publish more regularly, either jointly or whatever, with Policy Press. Yeah. And the feedback we got from Policy Press is that when we say the word radical social work, it just seems to sell. There's <laughs> a lot of selling yeah. of radical social work text. And I suppose it was those things. It was the fact that we had a national network, social work action network, that we had regular meetings of, of those numbers, that the book seemed to be selling quite well, uh, that the manifesto had had this huge sign up that um, led Ian and myself to approach Policy Press with the mm. idea of this new journal that would reflect some of those things. Yeah. The only other thing to add to that was that um, at that very first meeting, there was a couple of PhD students who worked with me to put that first conference together. So they were, they were I don't know, they were my PhD students, but they were working <laughs> with me as PhD students. Now, that was Vasilis Yakimodis and yes. Doris Maloney. Yeah. They're both now, you know, established academic careers. Yeah, they Vasilis are. Is, you know, a different day is a different country for Vasilis. But um, so very well known. But they were, but what it meant was that from the very beginning, we had the Social Work Action Network UK, mm-hmm. but we also had Social Work Action Network Greece because they went back oh, to okay. Greece. So the two original founding groups were in Britain and in Greece. And then we had one in Ireland because people came from Ireland to it. So, so we always had an international connection. And then um, we had, uh, um, there was a social worker, a, a man called Norbert Ferenc in Hungary. And um, there was a, a, a group called New Forum, who were a group of social workers, and they were working with homeless people in Budapest. Right. And the way to deal with homelessness under uh, the Budapest local government, which is the... Um, which is actually run by the fascists in, in, in Budapest, and they just made it illegal. So that solves the problem. It's illegal to be homeless. Wow. So um, they would just go around and pick people up and put them in jail. Mm. And the other thing that they did was that they, they made it illegal to go dumpster driving, uh, diving. So, you know, when, when supermarkets throw out their food, it's illegal to pick that food out. Wow. So this group of social workers um, were fighting for the rights of homeless people and the dumpster divers and were actually going to get the food and attempt the homeless people, whatever. So one of the social workers, a man called Norbert Ferenc, was arrested and was facing three to five years in prison. Uh, three to five years? Three to five years for that. Um, and we ran an international campaign. So we, we put whatever, so we got statements from the international organisations. We pushed the national organisations to release statements. We got an international petition up, and this was all presented to the courts that actually, as a professional social worker, he was working to the value base that was expected of professional social workers. Yes. And therefore, this was entirely within the job and we met of a professional social worker, and you could not imprison him. 
and he, he got suspended sentence. So he didn't get away with it. He did get, but he got a suspended sentence. He didn't go to prison. So it was a real victory mm. as well. So we had a connection in Hungary. Through that, we then met um, colleagues in Hong Kong. Um, and they are not academics. There's a group of uh, social workers uh, who work in the field who are organised okay. themselves in Hong Kong. We used to go to the International Federation, and the, the biannuals, and we yeah. actually started to ask if we could have fringe meetings at that or sections where we would organise. And these were some of the most fascinating meetings. So they were, they were well, an international meeting, but they were very international where people would come with their own stories. So lots of Australians would come and all the rest of it. So we were building international links and we had some very, we had some sworn groups in Greece and Ireland, UK. We had some other groups that existed that we were very close to in Hong Kong and then in Hungary. And gradually that network, so there was the uh, Boston Liberation Health uh, Network came to one of our conferences and then had a relationship with them. So with Boston, Hong Kong, Ireland, Greece, Hungary. And so we've always had that sort of international link as well. So that was part of what we, we brought to policy about the journal. Yeah. And then with the journal and then with COVID, those links have just spread and spread. So we're, we're now, we now have... Oh, you found uh, it's got bigger through COVID. So, so it's got, well, it's got bigger because one of the things that we did really quite early in COVID was, um, well, we're all stuck at home, what's going on? And we ran a series of international webinars. And then we realised that the beauty of, se- of Zoom was yeah. we international ze- uh, seminars with speakers from right around the world. Yeah. So we did this in conjunction. We approached the International Federation of Social Work and we ran um, several really big uh, webinars with them. I think I yeah. went to one of them, actually. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know the ones you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and, and I mean, people watched live and contributed. Yeah. And- whatever and were typing putting them in and then even more people would catch up because they were always recording whatever and they were very very successful and then after that there was was even more groups came towards us or or approached us Um, and then we formally founded Social Work Action Network International so so we have an international steering committee we meet every two to three months we check about problems that we've got or issues or campaigns that we're going to run Uh, and last summer we couldn't have a social work action network conference, but we had an international conference, which was again quite interesting because it ran for three days for 24 hours each day. Really? Oh, for the time difference. Because the time zones. Yeah. So we gave it to national groups um, and each ran it. It ran in local languages as well. So we had sessions in Japanese, Portuguese, Spanish, Greek, uh, Swedish, English running from UK times they were running from five o'clock in the morning till two o'clock at night you could watch them live or catch up and obviously in the UK there were times um, there so it was a bit of a headache to try and uh, you so we produced a brochure we had zoom links everyone and you could you know and it was all in all different languages Um, but it was really successful it it was a bit of a headache to try and make sure that the tech was up to date and, and, and all those kind of things but I think it was appropriate because it meant that, you know, it wasn't international conferences tend to be in English and we assume that people will engage with that. But here was one which was in the appropriate. So well, it's rare. That's really progressive. It's rare that a conference is structured like that in multiple yeah. languages and just in and terms of like participation. Well. So we yeah. weren't saying you've got to fit in the British time and British language. Yeah. It can be in your time zone. And if you want to, there's these other things or you can catch them and. And we also pre-recorded a number of things and we released them. So they were short, you know, interviews or short things that were happening. Mm. Um, 
uh, one of them was an interview with me and Ian about the journal and radical social work. So, and it's still nice. so all those things are still on the on on the web. Mm. Uh, on the web pages and accessible so it looked like a very busy conference but, but people could pick and mix and do it in whatever language they thought was appropriate for them so fantastic um, yeah so how through all of this through the growth of social work action network and it becoming international kind of how has having the journal supported that um what I, I suppose the question is what role has the journal played in all of this stuff yeah so I don't know what the figures are. I mean, Policy Press would probably know, would clearly know much more than me. It's not, but one of the things I think is has happened is the early, you know, the early issues, the first two issues, if you go back 10 years, the first two issues were preset. Ian and myself invited people to contribute because, you know, you have to kick it off. And yeah. So we made sure we'd speak from, you know, contributions from around the world. Okay, that's fine. But if you take away the first two, after that, it was, you know, people submit articles and do whatever, you know, from there. So it didn't take long for it to get no, that I mean, momentum. No, I mean, we've always, you know, if we thought it was a key thing that we wanted, we, we will approach people and say, well, you, well you're right, but less and less of that now. But um, but one of the things that, that is remarkable is, is that there's, there's, never, there's never an addition which is just UK-based. That's never happened. Um, there's never a one that's just UK and America. I mean, we have contributions from India. Um, one of the things I'm really proud of, uh, I do it in other areas and do some of my writing is, but, but we've had several articles from social workers about social work in Palestine. Right. Uh, um, and other journals either back off or don't cover that, but I'm really proud mm. that we do. Yeah. Um, so we've had... So, so we've had articles from people in Palestine, about Palestine, India, uh, across Africa, Australia, New Zealand, uh, across Latin America, America, uh, the, across the Scandinavian countries. Um, so, you know, regularly from right around the world, and there's not an addition that doesn't have international. So That's impressive, I, yeah. I, I think it really is truly an international one. Now, that has given us some problems. Um, and one of the problems is that um, is an interesting one because, and maybe I should have brought this in earlier on, but, but when we talked about radical pioneers and we talked about the history of radical social work, I think Ian and myself were more attuned than many people to the historical legacy of radical social work, and that's what we were talking about. But, but, but when me and Ian were talking about that, we were primarily talking about Britain and America and those places where people speak English and where we can engage. Yep. And then we rolled that out and we found Mentona Motor and you know maybe some of the stuff in Spain or through Vasilis, Greece, that was fine. But one of the things that we didn't know about until we set the journal up and started to engage with us was that there was something called the, the Refundatio, uh, the, the Refoundation Movement in, okay. in Portugal, sorry, in Brazil mm-hmm. and in Latin America. Now, uh, the movement for a refounded social work was in the 60s and the 1970s. But because it was written about in Spanish and Portuguese, the English-speaking world didn't really know much mm. about this. But actually, if you were to think about one of the radical hot centres of the late 60s and 1970s, it would be Latin America. Right. This was a social work that was embedded in the works of Paulo Freire and the liberation theology movement and the Marxism of Latin America in the 60s and the 1970s. 
And of course, tragically, in many of those countries, in Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Chile, where those things were taking place, in the next phase, in the 1980s, the generals came to power and many social workers lost their lives, were thrown out of helicopters, were shot, were imprisoned. And all of that history, complete silence about in the Western yeah. English-speaking canon. And in recent years, there has been attempts in Latin America to rethink the radical, refounded social work movement. So one of the special issues we had was entirely devoted to uh, radical social work in Latin America in the 60s and 70s and what it means today. That's cool. And, and really so it brings big, it all back into the back conversation. In, and bringing it for the first time to the English-speaking world who just did not know about this. And I'm talking about really good people. So, you know, I'm going to pick on, uh, this is not This is meant as a compliment, but Guy Shannon was mm. president of Baswa. He's a really good guy and a really good friend. He's, you know, a good radical social worker, good radical politics. And um, I was talking to him about this because um, um, Ian and Vasilis and myself also talked about it in our last book on the politics of international social yeah. work. And Guy had never heard about them. So, you know, good radical practitioners, activists, social workers had never heard of this movement in Latin America. Yeah. To have a special edition in the journal, I think, was really important intellectually, but also about reclaiming that history and also tying us in to colleagues in Latin America, both Spanish and Portuguese-speaking colleagues in that part of the world and bringing mm. the journal to them. But it's, it's an interesting one, but it does, the international angle does open up some interesting questions because what I didn't fully realise is, and I, and I know that translators always have these debates about whether you just translate the words or yeah. whether you translate the meanings. And the it's a difficult norms, one. It's really difficult because when we publish in English, and so when we get, for example, colleagues in Brazil writing in English, they still write in English with the Brazilian norms. So sometimes their sentences can be a full paragraph. Yeah. Because the academic way of debating, of lecturing is, you know, that's how they, that's how, that's what their culture is. And so they transfer it. So even, so it does require, so what often happens is that the Brazilians translate it into English and then we have to translate the English into English or into the kind of English that we would understand and, and norm and send it back to them and say, is this kind of what you mean? So yeah, you potentially lose a lot of meaning there, don't you? The nuances that, of it all. That's yeah. really, really difficult. And I know that in translators that there is a debate about where you go and how far you go mm. with that. An early book that, um, you know, myself edited, um, with Policy Press, there was a, um, we had a, a chapter from a colleague in um, uh, Chile and a chapter from a colleague in uh, Senegal in, in French. And we approached two colleagues that we know who politically would come from the same places as me and Ian and who would know whatever. And the person that did the Spanish translation for us, we got this chapter in which we just read and think that's a fantastic chapter, wouldn't change a word of it. And the colleague who translated the French one, we read it and we said, that, that doesn't make a great deal of sense because they translated it, but they hadn't translated it with the meanings and the concepts in the same way. Yeah. Whereas the colleague who translated from Spanish had understood what they were meaning and put it into the relevant ways of phrasing things in English and send it back. And that's 
So it's a, it's a really interesting question about how I you should do. imagine in um, academia generally there's a lot of work to be done um, as ideas do become shared more um, yeah. but it's all yeah. a bit more international kind of need to have these conversations about how you how you publish and how you retain meaning and things yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I mean even I mean they do become English words but even if you think about Paulo Freire conscientization and that word you know so people know what it means now yeah but, but it's not it's not a word that you would use in everyday English discourse is it so but it makes sense in Portuguese so so right. okay with, with individual words those th- those words become but then if you roll that out to an entire article where there are difficult meanings of words as you translate them and do you lose the meaning so I'm really proud that we are a properly international journal but it does sometimes bring challenges I suppose would be the the other thing that I'd say yeah, um, but I guess that kind of feeds into academia and the debates and yeah. hopefully in time answers questions. And this conversation is really interesting because we work on journals and books um, every day and you don't you sometimes forget about the impact they can have and the power they can have and hearing you speak about the journal and how it's facilitated these conversations and these debates. It, it does make you realise how important it is to have these spaces where all these different ideas can come together I think and then especially it coming on the back of this like radical social work social work action network movement it's really significant isn't it and powerful and I guess that's why it's been so successful really yeah I, th- I mean so so I think the journal is now identified and, and, and I mean it's it's difficult to there's there's always movements and counter movements back and forward and, and how would how would we how would we trace the success of this? So, you know, there's the the measures of downloads, people know about the journal, there's the international reach, there's people who are contributing to it. <clears throat> it's going through those various phases of academic recognition, which is fine. Mm. Some of the sections, of course, we spoke about wouldn't count towards those impact. No, factors. of course like, not. And, yeah. And that's, you know, that's, a, that's but 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 I know this might not be what policy would like to hear, but impact factors are impact factors are important because in some countries of the world, some academics are not allowed to publish in journals that don't have an impact factor. Yeah. And however wrong I think that is, that's the reality. So it is important to have an impact factor. But impact factors, of course, only talk to narrowly academic interests. There are other things that are more important for a radical campaigning network around social work. So like actual that, actual impact. Like actually well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so the, the voices from the front line will never ever ever have any impact on our impact factor. I don't know. I think it's really important no. to have it. I think for Policy Press, that's hugely important yeah. as well. And our mission as a publisher is to help that kind of thing happen as well as the academic impact. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're so proud to publish the journal as well. Yeah. Um, so kind of need to get towards wrapping up now. And I just had a last question about the future almost. So what do you think the key issues for social work will be going forward? And how would the journal kind of carry on and help us to address these and I also wondered, are there particular emerging topics that you'd like to focus on in critical and radical social work? So one of the things that um, one of the things that we've been clear about, I think, from the beginning, um, and I think that Ian and myself have always written about and argued about, and, and, and it seems a bit strange um, when you first say it, but I'll try and clarify what I mean. But our view, my view, 
well, certainly my view, and I'm sure it's me and Ian's view, so our view is that developments around radical and critical social work rarely come from within social work academia. Right. So let me clarify what I mean here by that. I mean, obviously, academics write about them, but the initial input, uh, impulse, in my opinion, comes from the outside world and from the movements for social change. So if we were to go back, anti-racist social work wasn't made up in the heads of academic social workers. Yeah. It was imposed by the anti-racist movement, which demanded that social work respond to institutional racism. And then some academics wrote about it and what this meant for social work. So, of course, there's, there's that channel in, and those people were really, really important. I'm not underestimating the role of those academics writing about anti-racist social work. But the impetus was the challenge from the outside world. In yeah. the way today, the challenge is from Black Lives Matter. It would be completely fallacious for social work to say, we, we you know, these are concerns that Sorry, social work, like other institutions, has failed. And the challenge from Black Lives Matter is to make sure that we forefront issues of race, discrimination, inequality, history, decolonization. And that challenge has come from outside into the profession. Mm-hmm. Or if you were to go back, social work was full of notions about recreating the family, protecting the family, mother's role, blah, blah, blah. The challenge to that came from the women's movement. Mm-hmm. And it was the women's movement who said, what nonsense is this? Women's right you choose, you know, alternate families, however we do it. Uh, families are sites of violence and domestic abuse. And the challenge came from the outside. So the real questions were thrown up by the movements for change outside. And then they posed questions that I think radical social work is good at taking seriously. If it yeah. is a radical social work, it should take them seriously. And But they come from the outside in, and it's about how we take the insights of those movements and adapt them to social work and think about them in that way. So I think that's how radical social work is, is constantly reinvented by the challenges of yeah. the outside, by the movements that come from the outside. So the journal then in the future, it, it's I don't have a crystal ball, but the journal should be flexible and adaptable to those new challenges. So whether that's around trans rights, for example, or whether that's around Black Lives Matter, as we've said, whether that's around um, attacks on um, uh, abortion rights in various parts of the, the globe, or whether that's about sexuality, whether that's about climate change, whether that's about the, you know, the challenges of war and what that means, war, imperialism, and constant war that we seem to be involved in, and what does mm. that mean for social work? Uh, social work and disasters. We're going to go into a world, I think, of increasing disasters, climate disasters, war disasters, refugees, and all those things. There are social roots to those things and the kind of world that we are creating. And so radical social work should be around those things. But I can't tell you, oh, it will be this, this, and this, because in a sense, it will be where, you know, I've just given you a list in a sense of what we would do, but yeah. <laughs> some of those will come from, from the problems of the age and how people respond and how social work as an academic discipline responds to thinks about the challenges of those movements. So the journal should, should all, if it does that properly, it should always be vibrant and lively because it should always be dealing with mm. the challenges that we face as a human or a set of human societies. Um, yeah. COVID, pandemics, all those things. So, you know, we couldn't have predicted any of those, but then they come and then there's, so the challenges come from the material world and the responses, the movements and what does social work do? I suppose that would be my my vision. 
There's obviously the big questions. There's a more partial one that we know about, which is the, the, the although I was keen to stress that I think it is more extreme the neoliberal hold in social work in Britain and America and Australia and Canada. There is no doubt that that, that those insects are rolling out, so they become problems in other parts of the world. Oh, okay. Responses to that, um, you know, there, there are still you know, broadly neoliberal drives everywhere, but more extreme in those ones. So, so I think you know the impact of neoliberalism. The challenges to that, how can you practice with a value-based social work in an atmosphere of narrowing social work? Of, of, of Neoliberal social work is probably the opposite of everything we've been talking about. It's not yeah. about any of those things, and that's what professional practice is increasingly trying to be squeezed into that hole. So where are the gaps for professional autonomy and actually making decisions that reflect the needs of people? So I think those will always be there. We've got um, this year. We've got a couple of special issues uh, coming up, but we've got a special issue in Black Lives Matter, of course. But what we're going to do with that is that we're then going to try and embed it so that every issue will have at least one issue around a theme around Black Lives Matter, so that it's oh, not okay. a one-off issue that we've dealt with and we put to bed. That's important, so, yeah. Um, so we're going to try and do that as well. Um, we've also got a, a, a themed issue coming up on community approaches. Okay. Uh, there, uh, and we've got uh, I'm talking about you know over the next two years, and we've got a, a special issue on on some of the aspects around learning from history of social work as well. So going back some you know about um, Black Lives Matter as a sort of dominant social issue of the present, uh, community approaches to social work as as you know if you like in practice against neoliberal social work, and then that overarching thing about how do we address the problems of the modern world and the various existential crises that we are we are facing mm. um you know my own view I've, I've done a couple of talks recently in which i've talked about the four horses of the apocalypse and and, and social work and I, what i mean by that you know not at all religious but but it's, it's quite a nice image but if you think about the four the, the four horsemen that we are facing you're talking about poverty and unemployment is one yeah institutional racism and oppression you're talking about uh, COVID and pandemic. You're talking about climate change. So that was my four horses. I'm now running out of horses because we've now got war. Yeah. Now five horsemen. So I've even gone further than the Bible with five or six horsemen in the apocalypse. But, but each of them is really quite dramatic uh, implications for the nature of society. Um, you know, if you think about in Britain, uh, I know it's not the way, but, but if you think of the cost of living crisis in Britain at this point in time, and then you think about it from a social work perspective, these are our people, you know, who social workers work with, who were now facing 100% increase in gas and electricity bills, um, who can't drive their car because of the cost of petrol, who go to the shops and can't afford to feed themselves because, uh, you know, we. now I know that Britain might be more extreme at this than other parts of Europe or parts of the world, but of course there are other parts of the world where extreme poverty and inequality is having this impact. Mm. You know, and, and, for some people, as the next few months in Britain, you know, the, it's become a bit of a cliche, but it's, it, it shouldn't be a cliche. It, it is the reality. People are now facing a choice between heating or eating, and, and we should yeah. never be in a world. And Britain's, you know, Britain's the fifth richest country in the world. This is outrageous. We've so, got plenty to go around, haven't we? Absolutely yeah. plenty to go around. And, and so those problems are the, are the heart of social work and of radical social work. So there should... There should Unfortunately, in a sense, there should be plenty of issues for people to 
send in articles and debate and think about how we progress yeah. in the world. Well, goodness knows what, what's going to happen in the next few years, right? Yeah. That's Absolutely. something that we've learned recently. And all this conversation, it just makes me realise the breadth of what social workers do as well and how, yeah. how much their role does play into all these different aspects of life, whether it's war or whether it's heating or eating, it's such a broad field. And um, I think Critical and Radical Social Work Journal, it's just that really important space to have these conversations, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, 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 maybe the final thing, um, and I maybe should have said it earlier, but it's exactly that. It's a space for the debates around those things. And I've seen some people say that radical social work is Marxist social work, and that that is not true. No. You know, I, I'm... I, I I am a Marxist and so is Ian Ferguson and therefore some people have said, but that's not true. It's never been. Radical social work is a broader approach and includes a range of different approaches to understanding the world. So, of course, there are Marxist radical social workers. There are feminist radical, radical social workers. There are anarchist radical social workers. There are those who have got a focus on the environment. There are those who are focusing on questions of race and racism. Uh, we would draw on a range of theorists. Right? This isn't a journal. is isn't a narrow journal of a, a group of Marxists. You know, as, as, as there's been a caricature about radical social work in the, in the work of you know, not the journal. The journal hasn't or haven't come across that. But it is a space for those who probably would see themselves on the left, but it's a really broad description of those who are critical of contemporary society and its impact on social work and social work service users, and who think that we have got something valuable to say about making the world a better place. And that's kind of the vision of what the journal, I think, speaks to, it opens up that space for that debate to take place. Nobody's saying we've got the answers. If we had the answers, People always say, oh, you think you've got the answers? I, I always respond, I say, if I had the answers, I'd have put them into place 40 years ago and had a really nice... You wouldn't, you wouldn't need the journal. <laughs> wouldn't need the journal. Yeah. I wouldn't be doing, you know, the car wouldn't be out in the streets demonstrating or doing whatever every week. I'd be having a nice time because I would have implemented the answer 40 years ago and we'd all be on a nice better Yeah. Point. So I don't know, we don't have the answers, but we, we ask the questions. Yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah. That's what it's all about, isn't it, at this point? Thank you, Michael. Oh, it was so good to speak to you. What an interesting story. And it is such an important journal um, and 10 years old. Let's see what the see what the next 10 years brings. Yeah, I can't believe it's 10 years old. It's gone really quickly. You can find out more about Critical Radical Social Work Journal um, on the Policy Press website, which is at policy.bristoluniversitypress.co.uk.